Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. So listen, uh, today, uh, everybody's going to need their Isaiah journal because we will be reading uh, from pages uh, 62 on. So you'll need your journal. If you uh, don't have a pen, uh, we'd like to get a pen to you, and you're going to need a handout. So uh, I would like to ask uh, Savannah, will you and Caden help make sure that everybody gets one of these? And who needs a pen? Anybody? Good, there's one. Noah, can you help get Walt a pen there? Help? Yeah. Who else needs a pen? Miss Pam? And Eli needs one. Here you go. Oh, Sarah, can you help pass a few out too? Anybody, anybody needs a pen? Please raise your hand. All right. Walt didn't get one back there. All right, Baptist preachers will do anything to get people to raise their hand in answer. I think we should have an invitation right now, don't you? Get several people there. Thank you. Thank you for all the help. And who needs a journal? Anybody need a journal? It just give me chapter first so I can get it right. All right. Uh, I just left it home. We'll be in 15, 16, and 17, as I say today. So, very good. Extra journals are right there. Extra sheets of paper right here. Well, I have looked forward to bringing this message to you uh, for quite some time. This is, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you have a passage of Scripture and you just, the message just basically preaches itself. It's just so strong. And, uh, uh, and then other times you have uh, passages, uh, especially if you're in Leviticus or uh, parts of Deuteronomy or maybe you're in some of the genealogies. Uh, where you're wondering exactly what is the Lord speaking to us today. And, and perhaps Isaiah 15, 16, and 17 is one of those passages where you're, you're reading through this and you're saying, uh, Lord, what do you have for me in this passage? And I'm, I'm hopeful that the Lord will uh, have a message for you today. I have so looked forward to being with you and share this message with you, with you the, the message that the Lord has laid on my heart. Now, I will confess that the first part of the message is really I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to put my teacher hat on and I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to teach a little bit and then I'm going to preach. And uh, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to, first of all, we're going to learn a lesson. Three points today. Learn a lesson. And the lesson is about Moab and Israel. The second point is I want you to feel the fear of what's going on in Judah, what's going on in Jerusalem at this time when Isaiah is prophesying. And then the third point is kind of a strange point. It's, I want you to embrace your enemy. Embrace your enemy. And maybe immediately your mind goes to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells us to love our enemies, but that's not where I'm going. We're going somewhere else with this embracing our enemy. And it's a strange 
picture of grace. We'll be talking about grace today as well. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, I submit myself to you. I humble myself before you. I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me, that the message uh, that you have given me to prepare, to present, that, Lord, you will speak through me, and that the people of this flock will hear this message, and that it will be a blessing to them, and it will encourage them to walk closer with you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Learn a lesson. Judgment on Moab. In your journal... If you'll turn in your journal to page 62, we're going to read Isaiah 16, verses 6 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. We have heard of Moab's pride, how very proud he is, his haughtiness, his pride, his arrogance, and his empty boasting. Therefore... Let Moab wail. Let every one of them wail for Moab. You who are completely devastated, mourn for the raisin cakes of Kerhurahasarith. What is Moab? Now for you athletes out there, especially you bike riders, you may be thinking, well, Moab is Murfreesboro Outdoor and Bike. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you bought a bike from Moab. Uh, That's not... The Moab that we're talking about. Sorry. For you soldiers, when I say Moab, you might be thinking of an acronym. You may be thinking of M-O-A-B, the mother of all bombs, which is a a military uh, device, a bomb that our military has uh, developed. They used it specifically in an effort to uh, try to kill Osama bin Laden. And so that's an acronym, Mother of All Bombs. It's a huge bomb. It's, um, it's not a nuclear bomb, but it's one of the most devastatingly powerful bombs ever built. And that's not what we're talking about either. Uh, what we're talking about is the country of Moab. And in, your, in the back of your Bibles, you may have, uh, you may have some maps. And if, if you are familiar with the, the maps section of your Bible, you might want to turn back there. And we're looking for the country Moab. And Weston, were you able to get those slides? Uh, so that first one there, Carly, do you know where, where that is? Maybe you can help us, Weston. There it is. Very good. So if, um, if you'll look at this, uh, Moab. So this is Israel up here. And this is Moab over here on the east side of the Dead Sea. So that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the country Moab. But we're also going to talk about who is Moab. How did Moab come to be? And and to find out the origins of Moab, you have to go all the way back to Genesis and you find where Lot, uh, Abraham's cousin, was with him. And Lot did not lead his family in the right way that he should go. And as a result of that, he lost his family And the cities where he was dwelling, Sodom and Gomorrah, were destroyed by God in judgment. And Lot and his two surviving daughters were holed up in a cave. And they really thought that the world had come to an end, that they were the only surviving people left. And Lot and his daughters eventually had children. 
And that's how Moab came to be. Moab was the son of Lot with one of his daughters. And Moab is traditionally thought of and remembered as a great enemy of Israel. And one of the reasons why that Moab was considered to be an enemy was that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and in Sunday school today we were talking about how the children of Israel were in the wilderness. When they came out of the wilderness and as they prepared to cross the Jordan, they asked Moab if they could come through their land because their land was so much better than going through the desert. And Moab said no. Moab refused them the way, the journey through. And so because of that, Israel had to go through the desert and suffer more difficulty, hardships, privations, because of that Moab is always thought of in the Bible as an enemy of the people of Israel. But it's kind of strange because one of the heroes in the Old Testament, there's actually a book named after her, is Ruth. And Ruth was from Moab. Ruth was a Moabitess. And as a matter of fact, Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. And when the chronologies, when the genealogies of Christ are given, there are five women who are mentioned in those genealogies. You have Tamar, you have Rahab, Ruth is right there in the middle, and then you have the wife of Uriah, and then you have Mary herself. So those five, so a Moabitess, an enemy of the people of God, is actually mentioned as a descendant or an antecedent, what's the word? Ancestor. We'll go with it. Thank you, ancestor. An ancestor of both David and Jesus Christ. And so we've talked a little bit about what is Moab. It's a country. Who is Moab? Where Moab came from? Now let's talk about where is Moab. And so JC has willingly uh, agreed to be my, um, my guinea pig today. So JC, if you would come here and have a seat. What I'm going to do for you today is I'm going to give, JC and I are going to give you a visualization of the geography of Israel. And if you will remember this, if you will hang on to this, you will have a good picture and you'll have a framework to understand how some of the tribes of Israel were located, where they were located, and how God viewed his people there in the promised land that, that he gave. And if you'll take your uh, handout, and if you'll get your pens ready, you can see that uh, on one side of that handout, I have uh, put a, a scripture, Psalm 60. It's one of my favorite psalms. I just love this psalm. And uh, here we go. So, first thing I want you to do on your piece of paper there is I want you to draw the coastline. So, this is the Mediterranean Sea over here. So, this is the coast of Israel. And you've got a little, little itty bitty lake up here, Lake Kula. Then you have the Sea of Galilee. Then you have the Jordan River. And then you have the Dead Sea down here. All right. You good? Everybody drawing that so far? And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you a city, the city of Shechem, which is over here. And then right here, we're going to talk about the valleys of Succoth. 
And now let's read Psalm 60 together. Are you ready? Down there on your sheet. This is just part of Psalm 60, verses 68. And this is God talking. And God, read together with him. God has spoken in this sanctuary. I will celebrate. I will divide up Shechem. I will portion the valley of Sechem. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. I throw my sandal on Edom. I shout in triumph over Philistia. So, when I first read this psalm, I'm going, I don't even know where Shechem is. What is the Valley of Shechem? What's Gilead? I had to do some research and look. And so I've learned that, basically, God is looking down on his land. And he's saying, it's all mine. He said, I divide up Shechem. I'll take Valley of Succoth. Then he talks about Gilead. And Gilead is this area right here. Now, two and a half of the tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan. One of those tribes, you can kind of see it right there. See that? Yeah. Reuben is down here. Gilead is here. And then Manasseh, which was a massive, big tribe. Manasseh is actually on both sides of the Jordan. Half the tribe settled on the east side, half the tribe settled on the west. And what God is doing is he's saying, Shechem is mine. The valley of Succoth is mine. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Then he says, Ephraim is my helmet. So Ephraim is in this area. And then he talks about Judah. He says, Judah is my scepter. And then he talks about Moab. He says, Moab is my wash basin. And over Edom, I empty out my shoe. And then Philistia, I raise my hands and triumph. So basically, he's just giving you an aerial view of the entire Holy Land, the Promised Land. You're a good sport. All right, here we go. We're going to outfit J.C., who is sitting on the throne here, symbolizing Jesus, symbolizing Judah. This is your scepter, J.C., Lion of the tribe of Judah. What, what tribe is Jesus in? From? Judah. Good. What tribe was David in? Judah. Good. Good. All right. So I love what Brother Adam said. Now here's Ephraim. Uh, God says, Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Uh, here we go. Moab is my wash basin. Moab. And upon Edom, I cast out my shoes. There we go. There's the land right there. How about that? <laughs> That's good. So I love what Brother Adam said uh, last week when he was talking about um, foreign armies coming in and invading, especially if they're coming from 
Assyria or Babylon or Persia. They're going to probably come in from the north, past the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to hit the helmet. They're going to hit the helmet first. And, but what they really want is they want to get down to the riches of Egypt. They want to capture Jerusalem and some of the other big cities because that's where the wealth is, that's where the gold is. And so they'll come down here, they'll have the military campaigns. In their mind, hopefully they'll win. And when they're done, they're going to have to go right back past. So I love what I've never thought about that, but that's part of the reason why these areas were always, it was so difficult for them to get anything going defensively because they, they would get them coming down and get them going back. And so when, when you look at Israel, if you remember this, you've got the lay of the land. And so Moab is my rock space. It's so interesting. So got a little water in there. Walk to you. And so um, this this is a tool that God uses for his people. And uh, I walked outside today, so there's not too much mud in there, but, but this is what God is saying about these countries and these people in relationship to his people. So, would you rather be the helmet or would you rather be the floor mat? How about the basics, the wash basics? It's just a tool that, that, he, that God is using because he owns it all. He can do with it as he, as he likes. So, Moab is God's wash basin. I'm thinking, I'm reading this, I'm going, okay. Moab is my wash basin. What does that mean? And uh, last year, Ron and I had the opportunity to um, actually be in Moab. And we went up on Mount Nebo, which is a, a very commanding height. It's where God took Moses to, to look past the Jordan and look at the promised land. And basically, he was being kind to Moses and allowing him to see it because Moses was about to die. And when we were on Mount Nebo and I was looking, I could look down here, I could see the Dead Sea. And I thought, okay, Moab is my wash basin, because Moab's right there too. Moab is right here. Mount Nebo's got right here. So we're looking. And then I looked at on the wall of this church on Mount Nebo, they had a satellite view of Moab and the Dead Sea. And this is a flat map. You can't really tell what's going on here on this map. But this is all ringed by mountains. And if you look at God's view, the satellite view, Moab looks like a wash basin. Now, the psalmist who wrote that did not have access to satellite view. But when he's quoting God here, he's speaking for God because God told him what to write. And you know what? Moab looks like a wash basin. You did great. Thank you. Give J.C. a hand. This is the sign of authority. This is what the king would have. And uh, if he extended the scepter to you uh, in a positive way, that meant you were going to be received. If he extended it to you in a negative way, it meant that you were about to die. So this is the symbol of authority. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that good work. Hope we got some good pictures of that. So Moab is God's wash basin. What was Moab's sin? The pride was a problem for Moab. Matter of fact, 
it was such a problem that Moab actually had a reputation for being prideful. People knew that Moab was proud. Pride's one of those funny things. It's easy to spot in other people. Not quite so easy to see in ourselves. But the Bible has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs 11, 2 says, When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. And we know that Isaiah here is prophesying against Moab. But you know, Jeremiah prophesied against Moab too. In Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 29, Jeremiah says this, We've heard of Moab's pride, great pride, his insolence, arrogance, pride, and haughty heart. James says that God resists the proud. Can you imagine being on the opposite side of God in a struggle? If you're proud, know this, God is resisting you. You have an enemy in God if you're proud. Proverbs 16, 18. Uh, you probably know this proverb. Um, you've probably heard it, pride comes before fall. The scripture actually says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Moab was so proud that the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, and Ezekiel all prophesied against Moab. And so we can learn a lesson from Moab today about pride. The second thing I want you to do today is I want you to feel the fear. Because what's happening in Isaiah is that the noose is beginning to tighten around the people of Israel. What's going to happen is the Assyrians are going to come over the Fertile Crescent and they're going to invade and they're going to come down in here into Judah and they're going to capture every single city except Jerusalem. Jerusalem alone, and we're going to see this later in Isaiah, that Hezekiah the king is going to be the king. He's going to be completely surrounded by a massive Assyrian army, over 185,000 soldiers in this army. And so you can just see that Isaiah is saying, Moab, which by the way, at this point in time when he is prophesying about Moab, Moab is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. It's amazing how much wealth is centered there in those three cities that's named Dibon, Curb, and Ar. Ron and I had the opportunity to, to be in Petro last year. You cannot believe the wealth that still survives to this day. You can see the structures and you just know that there was massive wealth. At the time that Isaiah is preaching here and prophesying, Moab is a strong country. But Isaiah says in three years, Moab will be completely destroyed. There will be almost nobody left in Moab. And Isaiah is prophesying at a time when the Assyrian army is going to come and they're going to take almost all of Israel. And then a little bit later on, he'll prophesy about how what the Assyrians left and could not conquer, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to do that. So the noose is tightening around Judah. Israel's going to fall as well. Damascus, let's look at Isaiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. That's in your journal as well. It's on page 62. Isaiah 17, 1. A pronouncement concerning Damascus. Look, Damascus is no longer a city. It has become a ruined heap. The cities of Aurora are abandoned. There will be places for flocks. They will lie down without fear. The fortress disappears from Ephraim and a kingdom from Damascus. The remnant of Aram 
will be like the splendor of the Israelites. This is the declaration of the Lord's army. So Moab is going to fall. Damascus, which is far to the north here. Damascus, which is in Syria. Damascus is going to fall. And I want you to feel the fear now as Isaiah realizes what's going to happen to his people. You know, sometimes we talk about Jonah and how he disobeyed the Lord. But you know why Jonah did not want to preach to the Assyrians? He didn't want to preach to the Assyrians because he too could see the devastation that was coming. The judgment of the Lord was going to come through the Assyrians. And Isaiah can see it as well. Damascus is going to fall far to the north. Israel itself is going to fall too. Now this is Israel above Judah on page 64, Isaiah 17, verse 4. On that day, the splendor of Jacob will fade and his healthy body will become emaciated. It will be as if a reaper had gathered standing grain, his arm harvesting the heads of grain, and as if one had gleaned heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Only gleanings will be left in Israel, as if an olive tree had been beaten, two or three olives at the very top of the tree, four or five on its fruitful branches. This is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so what Isaiah is saying is, it's going to be so bad you're going to look like a tree that's been harvested. The only good thing, the only thing worth eating are going to be a few olives at the very top that the beaters of the branches couldn't get to. It's going to be that bad. So Moab is going to fall. Damascus is going to fall. Israel is going to fall. The noose is tightening. Judgment is coming. Isaiah wants us to feel the fear so that we will do what we need to do. And that's the third thing. We need to embrace our enemy. Now what do you mean, Brother Kevin, when you say embrace our enemy? Well, in the middle of all this bad news, in the middle of all this devastation and destruction and coming judgment, we have some good news. Verse 7, page 64, Isaiah 17, Isaiah 17, 7. On that day, people will look to their maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. They will not look to the altars they made with their hands or to the asherahs and shrines they made with their fingers. Here's some good news right in the middle of this. All this judgment, all this destruction, everything that's coming on Judah is going to cause the survivors, the remnant, to turn their eyes upon God and worship the one true creator. They're going to leave away, they're going to leave behind their idols. When it talks about asherahs, that's talking about man-made idols that they worship. They're going to leave those behind. Judgment is coming. What is Moab supposed to do? Also, there's another, uh, they need to embrace their enemy. It's uh, interesting, Isaiah chapter 16, this is in your Bible, not in in your journal. Isaiah chapter 16, verses one through five. So fascinating here. Isaiah says, send lambs to the ruler of Israel from Selah in the desert to the mountain of daughter Zion like a bird fleeing forced from the nest the daughters of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon give us counsel make a decision shelter us at noonday with shade that is dark as night hide the refugees do not betray the one who flees let my refugees stay with you be a refuge for Moab the aggressor when the oppressor is gone destruction has ended so Moab is going to flee. They're going to flee from the Assyrians. And you know what God says? 
God says to Judah, the historic enemy of Moab, when this happens, take care of the refugees. Welcome them. So interesting. Verse 3, you can see that the, the refugees of Moab need a decision. They don't know what to do. It's what do you do when disaster is, is so close? You know, there's only a couple times in, in my life when I felt like I was in a situation where I did not know what to do because I felt like death was imminent. One of them was on the day of the Good Friday uh, tornado. Rhonda and I were at Cracker Barrel and we looked out the window and we could see the tornado. It was huge. It was scary. And it seemed to be spinning in place. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, do I get under the table? Do I run into the kitchen? Do I try to get in my car? Do I try to, I, I honestly did not know what to do. I remember that helpless feeling of what do you do when death is on the line and you don't know which way to turn. That's what the people of Moab are feeling, feeling here. Give us counsel, make a decision. It's time to make a decision in the midst of disaster. And God says, run to your enemy. Embrace your enemy. And then verse 5 is just, you know, we talk about seeing Christ in Isaiah. Verse 5, listen to this. A throne will be established in love. And one will sit on it faithfully in the tent of David, judging and pursuing what is right, quick to execute justice. You know who that is, don't you? That's Jesus. Sitting on the throne of David. Serving, judging. What was Moab supposed to do? Embrace her enemy. By the way, you realize that that is exactly what Ruth did? Ruth embraced her enemy. She embraced Boaz, became his wife. And then they uh, had Obed, who had Jesse, who had David. So Ruth, the Moabitess, embraced her enemy, Israel. And look what happened. David came forth. God said that Judah was to hide the refugees of Moab. Moab, Judah is not to betray her historic enemy. Moab is to run to her enemy. Judgment is coming. What are we supposed to do? Because judgment is coming to us too. Death comes to all. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to do the exact same thing that Moab did. We are to embrace our enemy. We throw ourselves at the feet of our enemy, God himself, who offers to save us through the shed blood of his only begotten son. Listen to Zechariah the prophet. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Our enemy is God himself. John 19 talks about how Jesus was pierced on our behalf. Revelation 1.7, John says this, Look, he is coming with the clouds. He's talking about Jesus. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? 
So learn a lesson from Moab, God's wash basin. Feel the fear of Judah because death and judgment is coming to all. And then embrace your enemy, your former enemy, who gave his only begotten son, Jesus, on your behalf. It's the only path to peace. Peace, the gift to you from the Prince of Peace.